0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Center Stand, the Motorcycle Industry Podcast. We're going to kickstart this thing really fast. We want to get going because we have got a lot to talk about um, here in Season 2. And I've got somebody who is um, integral to the motorcycle industry, huge in the Harley-Davidson world, but even bigger in the dealer world for all brands. Uh, And that is the man who is running Dealer News, as well as a storied series of uh, Harley-Davidson dealerships, Mr. Bob Altoff from Columbus, Ohio. Bob, self-labeled, world's luckiest man, I think, because you're married to Valerie. So congratulations. Say hi to the audience. Hi, folks. So Bob is, uh, again, out of Columbus. Um, He runs—he rescued Dealer News. So— Ah, uh, the quick history is uh, international motorcycle shows used to be part of the family that had dealer news. Um, dealer news was closed down. Bob and some partners saw an opportunity. That opportunity is growing, um, and he had a very interesting call to action in the January issue that that is the reason that he's our only guest on today um, is the call to start a National Power Sports Dealers Association. Now, many people think that already exists in some form out there, but it in fact doesn't. And it underserves our, um, what are we at, a $39 billion industry, underserves our, our, that industry and, and all the different dealers out there. So uh, Bob, before we kickstart uh, this conversation, would you give us just a short background on you in the power sports world?
1: Sure, Robert. Uh, as you know, uh, I started on the day that I turned 16 years old when I walked into uh, a Honda shop at the corner of East Main Street in Nelson and bought uh, my first motorcycle from a Hall of Famer by the name of uh, Dick Clampeth. Over the years, uh, you know, went off to college and and uh, then off to the Peace Corps. was fortunate enough to be able to ride and restore motorcycles all over Southeast Asia for the better part of three years and and um, I've been an entrepreneur all my life obviously I never dreamed that I'd be able to make my avocation my vocation but that happened a couple of decades ago when I was able to acquire AD Faro in my uh, hometown of Columbus
0: now I've been lucky enough to be at that dealership and check it out it's a beautiful place um, I think you have several uh, dealerships under that brand now. Is that correct?
1: Yes, we do. Um, yeah, Columbus is a great, great motorcycle market, and no one really knows why. It's probably not our good weather, but uh, Mrs. Farrow, uh, who was widowed young, um, probably sold a motorcycle somebody, and that somebody had two kids, and then they had four kids, and then the dinosaurs died. So we built a <laughs> pretty dynamic motorcycle market in Columbus.
0: Well, that uh, that alone is uh, a reason to talk to you, but uh, in bringing back Dealer News and making it digital, and I I just wanna say to anybody listening, uh, what's the subscription price for Dealer News now, Bob?
1: That would be a zero.
0: Zero. There you go. Absolutely free. You go to dealernews.com. You can sign up. You'll get the uh, uh, digital editions in there. They're, you know, Those of you looking for insight, looking for knowledge, Dealer News uh, has really grown into uh, an amazing uh, uh, source, resource for you. Robin Hartfield is the uh, editor, has just done a fantastic job in, in uh, keeping things up to date. And so... Um, uh, congratulations on that team. So back to the uh, main subject here is your call to action for there to be a National Power Sports Dealer Association. Now there's already acronyms in motorcycling. We've got AMA, we've got MIC. Bob, pray tell, what are you talking about?
1: Well, it's the NPDA and it is, um, it's kind of an historical accident that we uh, given the scale of our industry, don't already have a trade association. Uh, there are somewhere between 70 and 90,000 such associations in America serving uh, industries that are much, much smaller than our own. Um, but let me give you the genesis of, of, of all of this, Robert.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Back in the early days of the of the pandemic, um, there was a lot of uncertainty uh, around our industry we had survived oh uh, eight, but this was new ground and scary ground and I was invited to join a conference call that uh, was happening on a weekly basis uh, that included um, industry observers leadership folks from inside and outside our industry to talk about what the pros and cons of this particular subject matter might be. And and I have been very faithful in in terms of being involved in those weekly calls. They range from an hour to a couple of hours and they've consistently occurred. The circle has widened to include an incredible amount of of input and I'm sure we'll talk about some of that. But my premise in all of this as a dealer is what what could such an organization do to help me be a better retailer you know in the end it's the customer who pays all of our paychecks whether we're an oe or aftermarket or dealers uh, or work in a dealership and i'm always interested in things that might help me uh, better come together with a customer to explore and meet their needs and uh, so it's been an interesting um, Last twelve months.
0: And the bottom line is to make more money, right? To keep the dealership sustainable, to keep those employees happy, to keep the holiday bonus checks coming, and to keep uh, you know, uh, building that that community that we uh, have been beating that drum uh, for years and years. So uh, the dealer association, I mean, um, we have uh, what are the numbers? It's seventy eight hundred franchise motorcycle dealers several thousand more that are non-franchise, independent type shops, and that's 74,000 people. So that means there is no dealer association. And you said there were how many under other uh, sort of uh, retail associations out there?
1: Somewhere between 70 and 90,000 in the United States.
0: Right. And a lot of those are going to be for industries that are significantly smaller than the power sports industry. Is that correct? Absolutely. Yeah, so, so basically, it's a time to step up and be able to help um, dealers get together. Um, and so, dealer news obviously is a great uh, portal for this to happen. And you have a a bunch of articles that you you challenged your. Um, uh, contributors to the magazine um, to have that same theme so there's a lot of different perspectives I encourage everyone to read all of them and um, can you hit on uh, Mark Rogers had a great article called it's time in there Uh, and he ends it with the industry needs diversity cooperation and collaboration um, as his like sort of coda to the the piece but there are some specific tactics in there Um, can you dive a little bit into that for us
2: Sure.
1: Um, you know, the, the, um, in the end, you have to keep focus on the customer.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And it's my belief as a dealer that there are just enormous opportunities that exist for us to not only serve all the new customers that we've been able to attract here during the latter part of COVID, but also our existing customer base. Um, and I'll give you some examples of that. Uh, Pied Piper uh, follows our industry and others in terms of how effective we are at, for example, following up on leads. Now, a lead by its very nature is someone's raised their hand and said, I'm interested in your your goods or services. And even the very best um, of, not, of dealers, in, not only in our industry, but in other similar analogous industries like auto and marine and and what have you, um, might be following up on 30 to 50 to perhaps 55% of the leads. Well, what if we were, what if we were better at that? What are the opportunities for growth in our industry? What are the opportunities for us to expand the kinship of riding, you know, to, to infect people with this contagion of this incredible lifestyle that we all enjoy? Um, so again, if you focus on the customer, they're telling us they're interested we've just got to get a lot better at how we respond to that and that's what a, a a trade association whether it's in our industry or any other really does right there are a whole series of things that they do to help serve their membership that helps their members better relate to the public and that's and that's why this accident of history that we have not found the time or found the way to create our own power sports dealer association is hurting our industry. Mm -hmm. And and I believe that if we can get this done, we will all be better retailers. And as a a matter of fact, we will then be better distributors of the great products that are being produced by our OEs, and the entire em- uh, industry uh, benefits.
0: You know, there's a, it, as I look back in, in history here, um, there was the tradition of, you know, we've all heard about like the Harley Davidson Indian Wars, just to use it as, as an example, um, that there was such an alignment between OEMs and the way that these, these brands would t- treat their dealers, that, um, uh, that it was an either or. To the point that, you know, Indian motorcycles had the throttles on the other side of the bikes and that way it was like really difficult for you to switch from being, you know, an, an Indian motorcycle guy to a Harley Davidson guy and stuff like that. Right. And, um, uh, and then as we progressed through a more modern era into the, you know, into the 50s, 60s, 70s, there's, uh, you know, the brands are sort of, uh, competitive. It is that root of competition of, of wanting to beat the other guy, not necessarily realizing that we're all ships on the same ocean here. Uh, but just, just being so focused and being in being the biggest boat or being in the lead, is that the biggest challenge, um, to the growth of a, a, a dealer association, or is that something, um, that's just part and parcel of some other stuff you can expand on?
1: Well, look. Let, let's you and I both know that it is true that our industry uh, has been siloed in many mm-hmm. ways over over its storied history. Um, some would say that that is the impediment. I would I would say that as our industry has grown in its sophistication, that dealers are heavily invested in uh, trying to be um abiding in in uh, the distribution of of the industry's product and to serve you know to to grow and serve motorcycling and so i i happen to believe that the timing is right and that that historical stuff is out the window mm-hmm. because we've had a couple of really uh, existential threats to our existence and it's time now to um not to recreate any wheels because everything we're going to talk about today is something that's being done well by uh, another industry association and including those that are directly uh, comparable like marine and rv and auto so um, we've got some work to do that's for sure but i'm actually quite hopeful and what we've learned over the last 12 months as the as the pebble got thrown into the pond and the circles have widened that it is virtually unanimous that we do this and that we do it now. Uh, I will admit uh, the the parentheses is going to say uh, many have different priorities about what an association ought to do first.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. uh, And that's understandable, but nobody um, is raising their hand and saying that's a bad idea
0: yeah i mean the uh the time to start is now and um i think that's a key point you know you you bring up the fact that the old uh competitive spirit is something that you know uh there when 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 the market was wider there was room for there to be you know team red and team blue and team orange that sort of thing and uh and now as i walk into i I happen to have a ride now uh Uh, power sports dealer just down the road from me. And there are all those brands, uh, inside of that shop, um, including brands like Can-Am and and Polaris and things like that. And so, um, that, uh, elevation, not only of the, you know, these bigger box stores that have multiple brands, but I'll even point to Harley Davidson, you know, they're right on the verge of, of having the, the Pan-America Uh, come in, and that's going to bring a substantially different type of customer into the dealership. So just from a product standpoint, there's a lot more alignment that's horizontal, right, Um, with dealers and more reason for us to to work together, correct?
1: Yeah, and, you know, uh, all of us in one form or another, regardless of the industry that we are, are so lucky to be a part of, uh, understand and see the the benefit of associations in mm-hmm. many aspects of our lives. And so you know the compelling reasons for why to do this are everywhere. Uh, I happen to to think that um, as we've surveyed dealer interest and we've talked about a mission and a vision, and we've talked about governance and we've we've you know talked about other industries and how they approach all of this. That while there are uh, different paths to the goal, the goal in the end is how do we do what What I believe. It, it, it's really the reason that I was involved in the team that purchased Dealer News.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Dealer News was the one place where I as a dealer could be uh, informed by what other dealers were doing, uh, my brand and others dealerships that are large and small in every geography representing every brand. There was genius everywhere that I could copy and, and put into place in my own stores. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a place where I could be inspired by, by the great charitable work that was being done. Uh, it was a place where I could compete on a level playing field for honors, such as dealer news, top 100. The association is, is going to be in a way, um, Every, all of that. But the difference is, of course, that it will be dealer led. And so um, we're, we're excited about what we've found as we have explored this ground. Uh, but I'd like to take a minute and just share this with you. Mm-hmm. It's amazing how generous senior leadership of other industries have been uh, as we've invited them in to talk with us. Uh, the very highest people in the NADA, the very highest people in the RVA, the very highest people in the uh, Marine uh, space—they've all been um, down this road before. They know, you know, what the opportunities and the pitfalls are. They are um, understanding of our circumstance, and and frankly, have been just incredibly generous in, in terms of sharing what they've learned. We have. Um, a couple of really exciting things, Robert, as you are well aware, that are pending. Uh, a couple of years ago, the uh, uh, the talk about a ridership initiative cropped uh, mm-hmm. up, and and this is something that uh, I think uh, will, you know, roll out of the MIC here uh, before too long. We've needed to tell our story. Uh, in fact, a brand. And in our cumulative kind of collective brand is nothing but a story. And I think we have the most compelling, the most emotional, the most interesting uh, story to tell, but we've gotta be better storytellers. And I think the ridership initiatives that are out there, if they can be pulled together in a newly aligned kind of way, could be an incredibly uh, powerful catalyst for, Bigger and stronger and more sustainable business.
0: So the um, there's an old rule in sales, the eighty twenty rule, right? That uh, that eighty uh, percent of your business comes from twenty percent of your dealers. Do you think that there's um, as you, as you have discussed with with dealers, uh, you know, big and small, and and had these conversations with dealers? Um, do you feel like that there's going to be a pretty good buy-in to this? Uh, uh is is there like a there clearly there's a vacuum there's an opportunity here but um do you feel like it's going to fall along that 80 20 percent or 80 percent are like sort of getting getting it for free because 20 percent actually step up and do that or do you feel like it might uh might grow into something bigger than that
1: i don't know the answer to that because i don't know how uh, the board of directors which will be all dealers Mm -hmm. will come down in in their decision-making about uh, how best to roll this buggy out of the barn. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, increasingly, modern associations don't go the way they used to, which is to kind of raise the flag and hope that a few salute, um, have some some, uh, early adapters who help them get underway, and then eventually provide value to their membership, which allows them to grow. Uh, increasingly associations are saying, guess what? Uh, we're an association and you're a member. We represent Mm. all of you and we do not have dues.
2: Mm.
1: Well, it's awfully easy for people to join when there aren't any dues. Uh, if on the other hand, they were to go to a straight dues, then the question becomes what, what are those dues? And given, you know, the, the obvious pressures on all of our budgets and the times, Uh, that's where that 80-20 thing starts to be more of a dynamic. So there are decisions that are going to have to be made. They could be done in many different ways. We have really kind of parsed all of them and uh, will provide the early governance of the association with all of our baseline work and they're going to make decisions which will uh, tell the tale. I happen to believe that that dealers will respond positively and that there is a way to finance this thing that will result in uh, a strong association right out of the gates that will only get stronger as the years to, to, you know, go by. Now, Robert, you know, the the fact of the matter is we got to walk before we run, Mm -hmm. but um, the rubric really is this. If we can support one another and be better retailers, we can grow this industry and let's face it, even under the extreme um, situation where dues are "quote unquote" a lot, how many more units a year would you have to sell to cover that? Mm-hmm. And if we're doing our job as an association, we're providing immense value to the membership, and that's where I think we got to keep our focus.
0: I think that's a great point. The uh, um uh, the, uh, the dealers who really do pay attention, um, are the ones that you have a lot of conversations with. So this is a question that normally would be towards the end of the interview, but, but, uh, while we're on this topic, how does somebody who's listening to this podcast or want to, um, get in touch with you guys to say, Hey, I have an idea or I'm putting my hand up or I was involved in another thing. Um, how do they get in touch with you directly?
1: Well, the first thing I would recommend is that they curl up with the almost hundred-page edition of Dealer News in January, which is out there right now. You know, through uh, uh, our website, um, and then you can click on latest issue. and And having considered that, I think you will have a much better understanding of of what it is that's afoot. and um, And there is several calls to action. There, primarily, the one is tell us what you think. Mm -hmm. Tell us if you'd like to get involved. And the way to do that is to reach out to editor at dealernews.com. So, um, we've already gotten a good bit of that kind of feedback and it's been extraordinary. Um, we've had some really significant names, really diverse names by brand and geography and gender and, and, um, to, but a very experienced group of uh, dealers uh, have already raised their hands and said they want to be involved. Um, so there's some there's some real momentum here.
0: Can you talk a little bit about the delta between um, a, a National Power Sports Dealer Association and a 20 group? If a dealer says, I'm already in a 20 group, I got I got my support network already. What is it that the uh, uh, National Power Sports Dealer Association could do that would be different from a 20 group?
1: Well, a great question. Um, the fact of the matter is that uh, only a very small minority of dealers are in active 20 groups
2: mm-hmm.
1: and 20 group participation is actually declined. Um, I know that 20 groups uh, were responsible uh, more than any other singular thing in terms of my uh, development as a dealer. And while I encourage everyone to be a part of a 20 group, the fact of the matter is that we're all busy people and 20 groups are expensive with travel. And, and, um, and so w- how can Dealer News help with that? Well, let me give you an example. Um, for dealers, the vast majority of which are not a part of 20 groups, wouldn't it be great if there was um, a trusted source of benchmarking? Mm -hmm. research, analysis, 24-7, 365 training available by job function in the dealership, uh, daily and weekly retail news, uh, you know, all of these retail excellent kind of recognition programs, group purchasing, um, some legislative uh, advocacy. These are things that, these are where the big Missing pieces are, as far as I'm concerned, as a dealer. I, I will tell you that it's lonely being a dealer. now that's that's a crazy thing to say when we're surrounded by by customers uh, who we know and love and and we spend a lot of time with. But as a dealer, you got to know a little bit about a lot of things. I don't think you have to be the 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 most brilliant person in every aspect of your business but you better understand a whole whole lot of different things uh to a certain level and i I am frustrated by the fact that well for example um i I forgot how to buy a pickup truck Mm -hmm. Now, now that sounds nuts but I'm, I'm working seven days a week, every waking hour, thinking about my motorcycle dealership. And I only buy that truck every three or four years. And it kind of maddens me that I have to kind of remind myself, well, which dealer did I like? And what, how did I go about that? What's the best truck? Well, will it fit that lift? Th- these are the kinds of things that, you know, here's one for you. Um, there are hundreds of, hundreds of thousands of SKUs that could be in a dealership.
2: Hundreds mm-hmm. of thousands
1: of discrete parts, maybe not that many SKUs, but some of our most um, experienced and trusted folks spend their lifetimes counting things. Well, mm-hmm. why do we do that? I can remember 10 or years or so ago, as a member of the Dealer Advisory Council at Harley Davidson, asking them if they wouldn't be so kind as to tell the vendors. To put radio frequency identification tags on all of the inventory that gets shipped into our dealership, so that all we would have to do is lift a wand up in the middle of our showroom floor and it would automatically take an inventory. All right. Well, if they would do that, I could save fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars, you know, in in the in that mindless job of counting things. Uh, have and then I could put smart people, trusted people you know to work at running down the anomalies and going on to help us sell more units well that's never happened well an industry association might be able to go out and forge a relationship with an RFID RFID provider and provide a cost effective way for dealers to immediately avail themselves of a of a technology that has gone from maybe 10 cents a tag to a tenth of a penny per tag and meanwhile, a decade has gone by and we haven't availed ourselves of that. Mm-hmm. So I could honestly, Robert, I, you know, you, you're a perfect in a perfect perch. You know, a lot of dealers, you know, a lot of aftermarket folks, you know, a lot of OEs. There are things that we as dealers need to do for ourselves that uh, will allow us to be better retailers.
0: I agree. And then there's 9,000 odd dealerships out there that when you realize how many other people are fighting the same fight that you are and and you find those alignments, um, gives you that energy to be better um, and uh, maybe change the way you do business. I think change is one of the things that just as humans, we're a little bit scared of, right? But uh, 2020 forced uh, just a massive amount of, of, of change within our network of dealers. We were. Uh, oddly, because of social distancing, you know, we've we've told this story many times, and and people know that that many dealers were fortunate uh, in their unit sales, um, and uh, and the interest in motorcycling went up. So it's kind of our job as an industry now is like, how do we retain uh, those new customers that came in, and next, you know, June, July, August, September, when insurance comes up, and and do i really want to register that bike again how do we keep these people in the network and that's something that i think a a a national power sports dealer association can do to to elevate that um if you would scott harden's article uh says that there's uh room for the ama and mic and the npda in there can you talk a little bit about how you see those jigsaw puzzle pieces fitting together
1: absolutely um you know i've been a strong strong supporter of both the uh, ama and uh, the mic over the years and i'll continue to do that Uh, dealer news will continue to advocate in support of those institutions Um, the fact of the matter is that uh, i'm a dealer and i recognize that as a dealer i have needs that are not being met by the ama they have other fish to fry, perhaps, you know, equally big fish to fry in terms of their uh, legislative advocacy that gets done in Washington, D.C., uh, rider safety, uh, you know, overseeing kind of, you know, the, um, the rules of the road of, of our various racing disciplines, et cetera. I, I just I don't see where we can't uh, come together and, and shoulder to shoulder and, and uh really align in a way that's gonna serve each and every one of the of the three legs of the stool if you will in that regard. Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm very I'm very, very supportive. I'm I'll never not be supportive. I think, you know, I'm not afraid as a dealer, I'm not afraid of change, Robert. I'm afraid of those, you know, slings and arrows that come at our industry that are so um Dangerous. And I'll give you an example of that. I've spent the last several years uh, working with the MIC, walking the halls of Congress. And uh, four or five years ago, there was an organization called the Consumer Financial Protection Board that popped up, Mm -hmm. uh, became a new bureaucracy, built a billion dollar office building. And somewhere along the line, somebody had the idea that they needed to be sure that dealers would not discriminate. Against their customers, when it came to helping them with their financing of their of their um, their their vehicle,
2: mm-hmm.
1: Well, of course, the very premises of this is preposterous. As a dealer, my job is to fight for uh, a, a customer's ability to buy the unit that they are interested in, and the best way to do that is to get them the absolute lowest interest rate. And that's why we go to great pains to not only have our own OE's captive finance offering, but also maybe as many as 15 or 20 local banks or savings and loans or what have you that are doing indirect lending. But the regulators don't understand that. And until you go down there with a deal jacket in your hand and show them what you're able to do in behalf of of consumers... They're halfway down the road toward taking all, us all out of the business of being able to assist our customers with the financing of their units. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you, if we lose the opportunity to generate that additional revenue in our dealerships, it's game over. We, we can't allow our customers to come into us, get excited about a unit, and then when we say, How are you going to pay for it? they say, I don't know can you help me? And we say, no, then they have to go back to their bank that they've been with for 20 years and had in hand ask for a good deal. It might not be the best deal and it might be that uh, arrangement will not, you know, turn into the sale. So there are just so many aspects of what we need to be doing um, to grow the entire industry with, good advocacy and reliable metrics and benchmarking and strategic sourcing and procurement and buying group efficiencies. I'll give you another example. Only 31% of us as dealers provide healthcare insurance to our, our employees. Mm-hmm. That's just not good enough. Right. But you know what? It's hard to buy this insurance in the state of Ohio. We have a choice, a choice. It, you know, There are now buying affinity group uh, rules that would allow us to form a MEWA, which is an affinity group purchasing of some insurance coverages, which might help us better protect our employees, therefore Mm -hmm. keeping our turnover lower, therefore making sure that customers are going to be better served. So shin bone connected to the knee bone, right?
0: Right. Right. Yeah. I think, I think a lot of people are, um, much more aligned than they even realize. And, uh, and I think that, um, you know, I've done some work in, uh, in that, uh, the give a shift, uh, thing that we did a few years ago and, that definitely got me kicked off of a few christmas lists right um because it was seen as a challenge and in the reality is my background as a photographer and and having an art degree of all things is to understand what constructive criticism is all about and i think there's a great opportunity for all of us to uh, not see these things as a personal attack but to see the um opportunity for all of us to grow and get better at this and uh, and find the ways that these pieces fit together um, because we definitely need uh, more unified voices out there. Uh, we definitely can all be better at, at what we do and a lot of the initiatives that we've covered on the center stand, podcasts are to uh, help our industry uh, you know ultimately serve the customer better to continue to uh, be profitable uh, to be in this industry and to uh, you know keep bringing in more riders and uh, and and make it that much bigger so um, i want to uh, uh, kind of put an end cap on this uh, interview and it's a question that i ask all of our guests and And you certainly have the platform in dealer news, but I think you might be able to articulate it in a couple of sentences. But if you were to stand and address the entire uh, motorcycle and power sports uh, dealer network and and you had just a couple of sentences to say to them uh, to encourage them all at the same time, what would you want to say to them?
1: How can we not do the things that we know? will strengthen our industry, our lifestyle, our sport, uh, and invite as many folks as we can to come in and and join us in in all of this. The premise, Robert, of Dealer News is simple. Uh, We're there uh, with an obvious bias towards dealers, but it is our responsibility to create final demand for the product that is brilliantly being produced by the OEs. And supported by these institutions that we've talked about help us become better retailers and all of us will thrive most importantly those customers who write all of our paychecks boom there you go bob i want to thank you
0: very much for uh joining us today thanks for being our uh, our guest uh, we appreciate it here on center stand we get a lot of feedback uh, through ContinueTheRide.com. If you would like to give us your feedback directly, you can get in touch with us at IMSPR. That's the letters, IMSPR, at Informa.com. Send us a note there. Uh, you can subscribe wherever podcasts are distributed. Um, pretty easy to see a bunch of them at uh, ContinueTheRide.com, including all of Season One is still up there. Um, so thanks very much for that. Once again, Bob, please give my best to Valerie. Thank you very much for your efforts on behalf of all motorcycle dealers in North America. Thank you, sir. And uh, we look forward to seeing you when it's sunny and beautiful in Columbus, Ohio.
1: Thanks, Robert. Keep up the good and important work.